Episode 107, Fractured Skulls. It's Saturday, October 1st, 2022. If you can't believe it, it is Halloween month. Halloween season is upon us. Turner, Travis, alongside Monoxide. Monoxide, my friend, are you in the Halloween spirit? Somewhat. Yeah. It's two years after the pandemic, and now everything is quasi back to normal. So, if anybody isn't a frequent listener to this, if you remember, we were part of the uh, Just Chillin' Network. There was an episode in their podcast, the Chillin' Killin' podcast. I don't, I can't remember if it was on camera or if it was off camera. It was in our Gremlins review. Everybody kept saying when this whole thing was going to cease. And I was one that said, we're never going to get out of this. And Jimmy said, oh, come on, be positive. And I said, yeah, I'm positive we're never going to get out of this. <laughs> what? I'm glad to say I was wrong. Looks like we're out of this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we are finally out of this. For the most part, I don't think we're 100%, but at least we're like a good 90 90 plus percent. I don't see anybody with masks anymore. Like, here and there you see people with them. Here and there. You see some places they may try to enforce the mask. Uh, uh, I have some places. I have not seen it. I've been, everywhere I go, nobody's enforcing it. It's all just uh, if you want to wear it, go ahead. Your choice. Nobody's really wearing them. It's like very... I do see them. But it's nowhere near as frequent as last year. It was ever since that Florida judge just basically hammered down the whole idea that you haven't provided us enough evidence that us constantly doing this is keeping us safe. So therefore, it's now up to the discretion of businesses or whatever to do it. Because I remember when he hit that, it was in March of 2022. And two months later, me and the wife flew out to Orlando, and we didn't have to wear a mask on a plane, and she was just so thrilled. It was a pain wearing those. I I, I hated wearing mine, too. I mean, I, I, oh, you know, I did it for safety, you know, because we had to, but still, that shit was a pain in the ass. I, I always thought that it was a farce. Not the virus, the mask thing. I'm like, so you mean to tell me that wearing this flimsy piece of plastic, this foamy piece, whatever the material that you're using it for to cover your nose and mouth will automatically prohibit me from spreading the virus if I'm fucking sick. You need to tell me that if I'm in a room and I'm fucking contagious and I'm in a room with somebody else and we're close together, that all it takes is this piece of cloth to put over my nose and my mouth that's going to automatically keep us safe. That's ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah, come on. I mean... I'm no doctor, but that just sounds so ridiculous. But anyways, yeah, they were uncomfortable. I'm a, I am need to wear glasses, and those things fogged my glasses up, so that pretty much went out the window. Yeah, a lot, and, of, people, yeah, a lot of people had that issue, yeah. And every now and then, I get migraines. And if you've ever had a migraine, like it's like a headache with nausea, try wearing one of those things on your face. Oh, it makes it ten times worse. So, yeah, it was a nightmare to deal with. And seeing that Florida, I, I remember when I went to Florida, November 2021, they still had the, you had to wear it on a plane. And I could deal with that because you had to wear it at your job pretty much the whole time. But whew, once, once he hammered that down, it was so great sitting on that plane, just being able to watch a movie without this heavy substance on your face. 
And with that said, we got a lot of news stories. We got a lot to cover today in this episode. So let's check it out. Check it out. Well, I guess I'll get the bad news out of the way. Unfortunately, we had deaths this week. We lost rapper Coolio. Yeah, September 28th, he died of a heart attack. He was only 59 years old. And we lost wrestling legend Antonio Noki. So, Coolio was famous for the hit Gangsta's Paradise. Tell me why are we so blind to see that the ones we hurt are you and me? But he was also famous for doing the Keenan and Kel theme. Yes. That's our childhood right there. So it was very sad to hear that. Although, I didn't really listen to his music other than those two songs. But I also remember that he made a big stink when Weird Al made a parody of his song. Um, and But the one thing I will say. My dad, he said that whoever wrote Gangsta's Paradise, was, which was Coolio, he said that is probably one of the most well-written songs he's ever heard in his entire life. And my dad don't listen to rap. But he said that's one of the most well-written songs he's ever heard. And it, and it definitely was. And as far as uh, Antonio Noki, yeah, that's like the biggest death in Japanese wrestling since Mitahara Masawa. Guy pretty much was a pioneer to mixing mar- mixed martial arts and pro wrestling together. People may know him in the States for being uh, a part of that wrestling versus boxing fight with Muhammad Ali. Which, um, if you are a Muhammad Ali fan or a Noki fan and have not seen it, I do not recommend you watch it. It's pretty fucking boring. Because uh, the whole fight is just uh, Noki on the ground. Because Noki kind of smart if you think about it. Noki was like, well, how can Muhammad Ali knock me down? If I'm on the ground, so he stayed on the ground and just kicked his legs the whole fight. Yeah, it, it felt like an actual fight, if anything. I mean, it, obviously, it, if that would have been done today, it, it, the, I think the fight would have been completely different. They definitely made it more of like a spectacle. Right, but here's the thing. Anoki was very protective of his image. Yes. Said, uh, to show how protective he was and how protective wrestlers were, I hope I got it right. I think it was Anoki and Bruiser Brody. They wanted to have a match. They couldn't do it because neither can come to an agreement of who would win or who would lose because both refused to lose. So somebody, that just to show how the egos were here, one person suggested, well, why not make it a two out of three falls? One of you gets one win. One of you gets the other one. And then the third one ends in like a DQ and then you're both protected. And at the time, like when they first initiated, they were like, yeah, that's cool. But they couldn't even do that because they were afraid that, well, the one guy, what if I agree to lose the first fall and then the other guy purposefully tries to run the clock out to make themselves the winner? They couldn't even trust each other that they were going to do business because somebody was going to screw the other. That's how crazy it was, but that's how it was back in the day. Yeah, and I believe he appeared in the movie The Bad News Bears uh, and pr- in one of the sequels. I know there was a scene where, uh, I think, yeah, The Bad News Bears go to Japan. I think they had a scene where all the Bad News Bears, like, Anoki's in the ring, and he, like, scoop slams each and every one of them. They try to fight him, and, of course, they all get their ass whipped. 
Right. Randy he was on- to the Bad News Bears. They also did a Dark Side of the Ring episode. It really wasn't about Anoki. It was about the, um, I think it was the South Korea show that WCW did. North Korea. That- North Korea? Okay. Collision Korea, uh, yeah. So, and that was the one where basically Anoki was the one that got that crowd kind of amped up because that show, pretty much nobody was reacting to anything because they didn't understand it. And then Anoki, didn't he face Flair? I believe, yeah, Flair in the main event, yeah. Yeah, him and Flair in the main event, and the crowd actually reacted to everything. So, I mean, granted, Flair was a great worker, but it also showed that Anoki was a good baby face. Great yeah. baby face. In fact, oh, there was another legendary moment. Crazy how we say that uh, Anoki had a big ego, but by the same token, he allowed Vader to squash him in like three minutes. Yep. Well, yeah. Yeah, they, they had high hopes in Vader. He believed in Vader, so he wasn't all ego. He could have said, yeah, I believe in Vader, but I ain't going to let him beat me in three minutes. He let him beat him in three minutes, and that was... People were about to riot because Anoki was seen as a fucking hero there. Yep. So, Anoki knew when to do business, and truth be told, he did win the title from Backlund. He just wasn't recognized. Yes, yeah. Yep. He's the unrecognized WWF champion. WWF, that's what I meant to say. Was, I, I can't remember if it was WWF at the time, but... It may have been yeah. a W at the Triple W, yeah. He is unrecognized. Him and Ted DiBiase are the two unrecognized WWF champions, so... And he was a politician, too, in his later life. He was, yep. And isn't he responsible for the creation of New Japan? He is. He's a founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, IWGP. IWGP. Uh, it stands for Inoki wrestling grand prize there you go so other than ricky dozen giant baba anoki is like super 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 important the japanese not, it's not even japanese wrestling but just wrestling in general he is he's very influential just in terms of star power um mm-hmm. longevity uh drawing power i mean yeah he ch- he checks all those marks a fantastic life that he lived, I'm telling you, because to go, uh, I'm trying to think, he's a wrestler that turned into a politician. The only two I can think of that also did that were Kane, became mayor of Tennessee, and Jesse the Body Ventura became mayor of Minnesota. Uh, gov- he became governor of Minnesota. Oh, governor. I'm sorry, yeah, he was governor. I know there are other wrestlers that try to run. I remember Rhino trying to uh, run to be a politician at right. one point. Yeah, Detroit, because that's where he's from. Um, fuck, yeah, that was all. That's a successful life for somebody like him. Absolutely, yeah. One of the greatest of all time. I should watch more of his matches, but he, he was way before my time. I wouldn't mind watching some of his stuff. Because I've gotten a little bit more interested, especially in my older years and some of the older stuff, seeing what it was like back then. Yeah, I, I I have to watch more of his matches. So I don't think I've really seen in a in a full Inoki match beginning to end. Well, no, no, I, I've seen his Vader match. That was it. I was, yeah, I was about to say I've seen that one, but I would like to see one of his more revered matches because he was before the boom period in Japan where you had the Masawa, Kobashi, Tawei, Akiyama, uh, Kawada. 
those guys that were really putting on fucking banger matches. Yeah, and that was from All Japan Pro Wrestling. That was Giant Baba's promotion. It wasn't that, too around. Yeah, so Baba was like Crockett, where they had the better workers and the better matches, but Inoki's promotion was more of like, there was more pomp and circumstance in the 90s. You had your Muda's, your Ligers, etc. But now, I mean, if you watch New Japan now, it's all about the brutal athletic sport of it all, with some pomp and circumstance. You know, and um, and for me, as of Coolio, I mean, it's amazing how at one point he was almost going to be casted as Scarecrow in, uh, in the Batman movies. Had Batman and Robin been successful? Really, I did not know that. He was gonna be Scarecrow. Yeah, he had a he filmed a scene for Batman and Robin, but it got deleted. I'm pretty sure you could find it on YouTube. But um, yeah, he was supposed to. Have, he was. They wanted him to be Scarecrow at one point. Hmm. I did not know. I mean, because of the hair, I guess that would have made it make sense. I mean, he definitely would not have been a good Scarecrow for the Nolan movies. He would have oh. just. He would have been too animated. Yeah. But for Joel Schumacher, Tim Burton's Batman's, he definitely would have fit. Yep, he would have fit right in there. I know, I know, he's done a, a few other movies, but um, he was in Daredevil. He was in the um, the Ben Affleck one. He was in the uh, extended version. Hmm, a big contributor to gangster rap in the '90s, and arguably one of the, probably one of the greatest rap songs, not just of the '90s, but of all time. Yeah, Gangsta's Paradise is like. Hey. Even if you don't listen to rap, you know Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah, everyone's heard of that song at one point, yeah. And, of course, as we said earlier, he did the Keenan and Kel team. I mean, who? it's so iconic every time you hear the, aw, here it goes. Boom, 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 yep. A Nick, and then he does the Nick, the Nick, Nick, the Nick, 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 to finish it off. Yeah, man, it's 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 always sad to see someone from your child that played a role in your childhood, you know, pass away. Both, uh, I guess, for Coolio and Inoki. Especially, you know, well, for the Japanese culture for Inoki. Dive into our next news story. Warner Brothers, the Wizard of Oz remake will feature LGBTQ representation. Oh, of course. Part, <laughs> as part of a story that reflects the world. Anytime you ever hear a story that reflects the world made for modern audiences, it's always trying to fit the message. Oh, I don't know if we came to this conclusion on our last episode when we talked about this. But it's like, okay. You have a movie like Brokeback Mountain, which was successful. It's about a gay relationship, right? And I thought about this. In Big Daddy, there was a gay couple in there. But nobody repulsed at it back in 1999. I mean, maybe people were like, whoa, two guys making out. It was kind of like, whoa, that was shocking. But I had to think about this and think, why was it okay then, but not okay now? And and I came to the conclusion that the difference between Big Daddy, and keep in mind, I'm not even an Adam Sandler fan. I hate most of his movies. But that's just personal taste. Between that and all these message movies is that the gay couple in the movie, that was just part of the story. All the with things like like this current Wizard of Oz and all these messages, it just seems like they're only writing for the message. There's no story. They're only writing for themselves, yeah. Only writing for that message. Gotta have that message. But what was that show that we ripped on, uh, even though we didn't watch it, but it was uh, the Seth Rogen show, Santa Inc.? 
Santa Inc., yep. I saw the trailer for it, and it literally was just a message about rich white people being fucking awful people. Like, what? What? All, all wh- white old men, rich white people are awful people to them. Another thing, another thing th- th- this is just adding to it. So we talked about Mortal Kombat of the last one, 11, where they made Jax bring up the whole woke thing. But it wasn't just that. Mortal Kombat 11 also had the fact that women in the game did not dress provocatively as they did in previous games. And they presented Shao Kahn as being Donald Trump by having him say, we're going to make Outworld great again. Uh... Like, what was... It was littered with woke nonsense, which hindered the game because now it's just like you, you Mortal Kombat was never about that. It was about the fight to the death. Now, it'd be one thing if you just portrayed Shao Kahn as Donald Trump or if you only had ja- Jax say the woke thing. If it's just one subtle thing, that's one thing. But when it's riddled with all that shit, that's when it becomes a problem. And that's how it is with all these woke products. It's it's not just a subtle thing. It's just it, that's literally that they want that to be the theme of the movie. Exactly. It's a message, and nobody wants that. Let me ask everybody this: How many people took acceptance to the idea? This was back in 2011, when Chick Fil A went out on a limb and said that they were going to donate all the money that, or not all the money, but a portion of the money that they received in profits from all that they had made from their restaurants and put it towards anti-gay charities. Nobody took kindly to that. Rightfully so. It was your money. You decided, nah, I don't want to go to Chick-fil-A no more because they're doing something I don't agree with. And guess what? They balked on it, blah, blah, blah. What makes this any different? It's like ridiculous with all this woke shit. Now, Wizard of Oz, why did they come up with the idea that it's got to be LGBTQRSTLMP, whatever? Because, well, the writer has said here, uh, let me let me find quotes from this. Uh, by the way, the news source is uh, BountyInTheComics.com, a great uh, news source website. I heavily recommend it. Let's see. I'm going to read from this article. After all, the original 1939 cinematic adaptation of L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz is not only a Hollywood classic, but still holds up to this day. So much so that despite numerous adaptations of the stories have been done in the last roughly 80 years since its premiere, None of them have come close to having as much of a lasting impact as that NGM film. Last week, Barris, who will be writing and directing a new project through his Cash Lotto Inc. Society production studio, told Variety that his take on Dorothy's journey will give a whole new meaning to the phrase, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. <laughs> yeah. I bet! <laughs> yeah. And we're not talking about the LJN rainbow, either. No. <laughs> Uh, the original was an allegory and a reflection of the way the world was at the time with things like the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. Now we're going to turn a mirror on where we're at right now and take uh, disparate characters from the LGBTQ community, from different cultural communities and socioeconomic communities and tell a story that reflects the world. Keep this in mind. Best time to do that. 2022, where... It is cult, like literally hip and cool to be LGBTQ and all this stuff, and it's actually considered unhip to be white and straight and a male. But yet, they're going to talk about how depressed they are. And a press group that has carte blanche to say whatever they want without a consequence of losing their li- livelihoods and jobs. 
Go figure. Wizard of Oz. Uh, not sure. Obviously, it's in its very early stages right now. I mean, they could pull the plug on this anytime. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be our next adaptation. Um, it's gonna be for the the letter community. There's we mentioned this that there's been an increase in Hollywood for the uh, over the last few years to push these kind of movies to push the message, and now uh, the Wizard of Oz is gonna be its next victim. Look like at everything. Like, what? Why not we have a, a gay Bruce Wayne? Like, <laughs> Batman's not in love with Catwoman. He's in love with Robin. I have an idea. Why don't why don't these letter community people write something original? Instead of taking properties that old white men have made successful and then just and the only thing they know how to do is just switch characters. Whether it be race swapping, gender swapping, that's all they know how to do. And again, it's going back to when they made Commissioner Gordon a black guy in the Batman, that wasn't bad because there was no message to be sent. You didn't see Commissioner Gordon in that movie talking about woke nonsense. He was just being Commissioner Gordon. He just happened to be a black dude. Just happened to be. Same thing when, when Billy D. Williams was Harvey Dent in the uh, Tim Burton Batmans. He wasn't pushing any message, even though that wasn't the culture back then. It was okay because he wasn't pushing any message. It was, it was fine. I, I wonder, like, what will happen if... Well, they already did a Mortal Kombat movie, so it's kind of too late for that. But if they decided to reboot, reboot Mortal Kombat, and they made Jax into a white guy, how much people would flip out? I would actually be one of those people that would be like, this is fucking stupid. Jax needs to be a black guy. That's how the character was written. He is a black man. So when you are making a Mortal Kombat film, you find a jacked black dude to play Jax. For me, even though he's not alive, what's his name? I would have made Michael Clark Duncan Jax when he, in his younger years. He would, he would have been great. I would have loved to see Michael Clark Duncan as Jax fucking people up. I don't think they would do that, like um, uh, race swap Jackson for a white dude, because the letter community looks at the black community and says, hey, you know, we're on the same team here. You know, we're also doing this for you. But that's... That's basically what I'm saying. It's like they, the letter community will, they will defend the the, the race and gender swapping because it's like, what's the big deal? Why why are you getting all riled up that Little Mermaid is a black girl? But meanwhile, you take a character and it's not even a cultural thing. We're not talking about like having white people play the, the, the black slaves in Roots. We're talking about just this could easily be race swap with no issues whatsoever. Take Jax, make him into a white guy. See if those same people will have that same energy. Be like, oh, what's the big deal if Jax is a white guy? Who cares if Morpheus from uh, The Matrix is now played by a white guy? Will they even say anything? Maybe maybe I can understand uh, Shaft because it's been culturally a black man and that's more of the culture type of thing. All right, fine. But like Morpheus, theoretically, could be played by any race. Now, me personally... Lawrence Fishburne is always going to be Morpheus. That's just my opinion. I don't think anybody. I mean, I mean, the new Matrix they replaced Morpheus with another black actor, and P- and it still wasn't good because people were like you know, this role is iconic to Lawrence Fishburne's career. Yeah, and this is one of the go-to roles people you know recognize with Lawrence Fishburne, and plus the whole Matrix movie did that new that last one didn't make sense or didn't have mm-hmm. a reason to exist anyway. See, 
that's not the fault of that actor. I think Lawrence Fishman was just so good at Morpheus that it just it's impossible. It's, it's nobody's fault. It's just Lawrence Fishman was just so iconic and so great. But back to what I was saying. Uh, so now we're going to take a movie that I grew up with. Keep in mind, I don't give a shit if you make this movie. I'm one of those people that's like, it's not like if they make this movie, the 1939 movie is erased from history. I could still watch it. So I will agree to a certain extent. It doesn't, there is a little bit of an overreaction saying, oh, it killed the 1939 one. Let's say, for example, because I've heard that argument. Oh, you just killed the original. No, the original still there. You can still watch it. It's always there. Yeah. But it's stupid. It, it's, I don't know. It's ridiculous. And correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Judy, wasn't Judy Garland a big advocate for the gay community? The gay community. The gay community. The gay community. Gay community. Uh, I'm not during sure. her time. I I could be wrong. That's that's a tough one because she died in the '60s. Not sure. I mean, I'll put it to you like this. I don't know. I could be a hundred percent wrong, so forgive me. But I don't think. It was intentional for the village people to be strictly for the, the LGBT community. They just happened to be because of how they presented themselves. Because they have a song called Sex Over the Phone. Where they have women talking scandalous, like really uh, voluptuous. But they're known as a group that was really boosting up the, the gay community. Quite quite there so I don't know I don't recall you would have you would probably know better than me I'd, I would have to look into that but speaking of remakes oh here we go a new, a new Tarzan movie is in the works at Sony Pictures but what yeah. does it mean for a potential Disney remake S Sony has plans to make a live action Tarzan remake for a modern audience what does what that mean? What the hell? Did I was gonna say, what the fuck does that mean? Modern audience. What is that gonna be? Uh, the message too? Uh, what are they gonna make Tarzan gay? Is he not gonna want to swing on vines anymore because of climate change? What what what's going on here? Is Tarzan gonna be a woman? <laughs> Don't we have Jane? I was saying, where did I leave? Oh, oh, so we're gonna have two women. Yeah, or, or Jane is going to be uh, Jim. All this stuff is freaking ridiculous, man. <laughs> what remake recently has been of quality? I'm trying to think. Um, I would have to get back to you on that one. The Batman was really good, but I don't really call it a remake. No, it's just another adaptation. Yeah, it's... I, I can't recall if there's a remake recently that's been good. Like, yeah, Scarface is one of the best remakes of all time, but I, it's hard to call it a remake because it was it's, it was a different story from the original. Original was, like, more of the Al Capone-type deal, whereas the remake in the 80s was a Cuban refugee that became a drug lord. Well, it says here, THR shared that the film studio has picked up the film rights to Tarzan from the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate and is looking to deliver a total reinvention of the property. The project doesn't have a writer, director, or producer attached yet, 
but Sony is reportedly reportedly attempts to reimagine Tarzan for moviegoers in this time and space of the 21st century. <sighs> so my only question would be that. So I guess Disney's not going to be making a live action Tarzan. I mean, Tarzan's is public domain. The character's been around for I guess over 100 years, so anyone could do a Tarzan adaptation. Uh, just not too long ago, uh, Warner Bros. did a Tarzan movie with uh, Marco Robbie and, uh, what's his name, Samuel Jackson. Yeah, well, I wouldn't trust Disney to do it because they've been all about the message in their films recently. Yeah, and I guess Sony wanted to beat Disney to the punch about doing a lot on a live-action Tarzan. But I, mean, mm-hmm. so I guess they won't. Disney won't be doing one any, any, anytime soon just to avoid the collision with Sony. But, eh... That's what I say. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Disney, Marvel's Blade, Maher- Mahershala, I think that's how you pronounce his first name. The actor who's supposed to be playing New Blade. We'll just call him Ali. That's his last name. Ali reportedly very frustrated with the process. Well, over this past week, um, Hollywood reporter Jeff Snyder was told that the current Blade script is roughly 90 pages and features exactly two lackluster action sequences. Ali is said to be very frustrated with the process. Kevin Feige is said to be spread too thin. And that's what's going on right now with uh, Disney's Blade. They were supposed to start shooting uh, this month, actually, in October, and then they pushed it back to November. And now they, uh, their director has quit on them. Fuck. First of all, 90 pages to a movie script is not a lot at all. I would think an average movie script may- would be maybe at least twice as that. It's just, it just, it kind of feels like they have half a movie here. My thing is, is he going to even be anywhere close to Wesley Snipes? If anyone has seen the opening intro to the first Blade movie, the, the Disney film won't even be close to even to doing that scene. Dude, to me... Wesley Snipes is Blade. Going back to that whole thing of uh, Lawrence Fishburne being Morpheus. Dude, Wesley Snipes to me is always Blade. I can't yeah. see anybody else playing that role. I can't either. This is going to be... I don't know what the hell... They, I mean, they're probably still going to get this made. This film going to be made, but... It's going to be PG-13. It's not going to be rated R like the other Blade films. It's What's just this? not... It's... <sighs> and just reading about this now is that... You know, we have a lot of Disney properties coming out recently, and it seems like Kevin is losing more and more control over these projects because there's just so many happening at once that he can't be everywhere. I, I kind of wish that they would just slow down the Marvel content just so, you know, these films and series can be properly made. Because everyone, because I, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen the backlash that She-Hulk's been getting. Uh, I have... But the only thing I've really seen from She-Hulk was her twerking in an office. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know of the show. Like, is it written bad? Is, the, is it all about the message? Yes. All men are bad. All, yeah, all men are... are... And they force that message every episode. And it's really fucking annoying. Toxic masculinity and all that shit. That's, yeah, that's basically where she... That's basically where Marvel's going. Because, again, like you said, it's Disney. I, I, I want to go to a movie theater to be reminded of how shitty of a human being I am just because I have a dick and balls between my legs. Wonderful. And, and keep this in mind, too. Here's the other thing that they forget. The good sector of women that don't like that either. 
Yeah. Uh, they don't, and they don't know that. There's women out there that love men for who they are, and we love women for who they are. We don't want a movie telling us that women are pieces of shit. When I was a teenager, yeah, I used to think that all women were gold diggers and all that. Did you think anybody wanted to be around me? No, rightfully so. I was being a fucking dingus. I don't want to fucking go to a movie and hear that all women are pieces of shit. I mean, it's one thing if you're hearing a stand-up comedy show because somebody's trying to be funny. But when you're watching a movie, like let's say, for example, I don't know, um... Let's just say they made a new Superman movie and the whole message was is that women are fucking weak bitches and, and need to stay in the kitchen. It's just like, that's some stupid shit. You're never going to see that because who's going to want to see that? But the point is, is that who's going to want to see a movie or a show, in this case, She-Hulk, where it's not a woman who just happens to have the same issues as Bruce Banner, but she kicks ass. Uh, all right. I'll put it to you like this. Here, here, here's an argument. There's a uh, somebody that you all may know named Ronda Rousey. No, you probably watch wrestling, but the ones that do, or even the ones that don't. She's actually been getting cheered right now. Why? Even though she's beating up the men, she's doing it in a way that makes her kick ass, and her promos are not men are weak, and, and uh, uh, what's the other one? You, all or all men are toxic or whatever, and I got to put a stop to it. No, it's always situations where it's security guards trying to hold her back from kicking the shit out of this person that's being a dick, and then she's going around fucking flipping security guards. Now, in the wrestling world, fans love that shit. We want to see somebody beat some people up. That's that's pro wrestling. And guess what? When Ronda Rousey does it, people go nuts. No one's gonna go nuts for She-Hulk. If she's going around fucking twerking, saying that all men are, are evil and, and man-spreading. That, that's the other one, man-spreading. Oh, you're toxic because you, on the bus you, you spread your legs and prevent us from pay, uh, sitting on the other seat because your legs are in our way. Who cares if your balls get crushed if you squeeze your legs together? Come on. You know, and people know that Ronda R Rousey is a legit badass. She had to. She earned her way to the top spot in the UFC and really helped push uh, women's MMA in mainstream sports, specifically UFC. That's why people like her. That's why people wanted to cheer for her. But WWE tried to baby her, make her smile all the time, you know. And people just didn't want that. They wanted badass UFC Ronda Rousey, and it seems like she's finally she's showing signs of that in WWE, which is why people have been getting behind her. But with She Hulk. She's never earned her powers. It was accidentally given to her because her arm was cut open and Bruce was bleeding and his blood got mixed in with her blood. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, AIDS. <laughs> but, and the other thing, too, is that I've had my criticisms of Ronda Rousey and how she conducted herself during her MMA career. She did a lot of dumb shit, in my opinion. There was some arrogance to her. But the one thing that she never did... Because I remember somebody tried to bait her into talking about how, oh, the women don't get paid fairly in the MMA. And she actually shut that fucking shit down. It's like, no, I get paid pretty good. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. She didn't say it like that, but it was in the same uh, energy that I just presented it. She was just like, dude, I get paid pretty fucking well. And she, was, and she didn't claim herself as a victim. Another, okay, here's another woman. 
that is, and she's not a fighter. She's actually, uh, an, well, she was a judge and she was an attorney. Judge Judy, Judy Shiland. Somebody tried to say, oh yeah, you're a feminist like me. And she's like, no, I never identified as a feminist. I never thought that, oh, I'm a female judge. I always thought of myself as a judge who just happens to be a female. And if you watch Judy on TV, the one thing she always does is she berates women who try to treat children in a separated uh, relationship. She's like, no, that child is both of yours. So you both have a right to that child. She's, she never plays favorites for the woman or anything like that. And Judy's a well-respected judge, even though there's a little bit of theatrics because her show's all about her fucking berating idiots. But the point is, is that when you watch her, even though she may be loud and she may be tough and she may be abrasive, at least she's fair. She doesn't just pick on guys. She doesn't just pick on girls. She picks on people who she feels are fucking stupid. And that's, that's respectable. She's, she's a tough woman who has a stance and there's no quote-unquote message unlike the she-hulk well back to um to the article here um right now there are currently 14 marvel films and 15 disney different 15 different disney plus tv shows in various stages of development and you know kevin feige is a producer in every single one of them so i mean that's a lot to keep an eye out on he can only be in so many places at once i mean he's gonna need help when it comes to controlling these projects. You know who else is going to need help? Us from all these woke messages that we keep getting bombarded with. Yeah. So um, they need to find a director. They need to find one fast because they have just a month to do it. And uh, what? And the director, John Wick, has said he would like to direct the movie. And I think he'd be a good choice at Chad Stahelski because he's very good at doing action sequences. And that's one thing this movie desperately needs since they only written two. And then from... From the looks of it, they've been lackluster. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to put an action scene together, but Chad, if, let's just say they do bring him on right now, he's gonna have at least a month to um, put some put something together for for this movie. So right now, it's not looking do- good. Ali was very excited when he was when they announced that he was gonna be Blade, but now he's he's very frustrated. So Disney and Marvel, they need to get their shit together. No, yeah, it sounds like it's more frustration of make up your fucking mind. Where are we going with this? Yeah, because yeah, they don't even have a full script. Yeah, so then in that case, I, I'm I'm sympathizing with him in that case. Well, and I got one more news story. I oh. brought up Elizabeth Bank uh, Banks on this podcast in the past, an example of how not to uh, promote a film when she made her Charlie's Angels reboot. Okay. And uh, our source again, bouncingintocomics.com. Elizabeth Banks blames failure of Charlie's Angels reboot on film being marketed as just for go- girls. Even though she's quietly ignoring her own role in the narrative. Actress slash director Elizabeth Banks has expressed regret over how her 2019 Charles Angels reboot was marketed to the public as a film just for girls, seemingly forgetting how she herself strongly contributed to the promotion of that narrative. The, when she the said ba- just for girls, what does that mean? I'll, I'll, um, I'm going to continue. The best written, starring, and directed woke reboot of the classic television series was unsurprisingly yet another example of modern Hollywood promoting misandry under the uh, guise of empowering female entertainment. To the surprise of no one with an IQ above 70, the director-led audiences, and men in particular, to stay home and keep the hard-earned money in their pockets. This movie is not for you. 
No one wants to sit through a two-hour lecture about how terrible they are, much less pay for the chance to do so. Uh, oh, who's saying this? The the guy who wrote the article or her? Uh, the uh, the guy who wrote the article. Okay. Despite the fact that it was marketed towards them, even women opted out to not to support a movie. Because of this, the film was a massive box office bomb for Sony, debuting to a domestic opening weekend take of just $8 million. According to Banks, this disconnect between her film and audiences was due to the film being regretfully marketed as sort of feminist manifesto. Asked by the New York Times during a recent interview, if she learned any lessons from the bombing of Charles Angels, Banks recalled, it was very stressful, part, partly because when women do things in Hollywood, it becomes this story. There was a story around Charlie's Angels that I was creating some feminist manifesto, she said, unwilling to let a chance to play the victim pass her by. I was just making an action movie. I would have liked to have made Mission Impossible, but women aren't directing Mission Impossible. I was able to direct an action movie, frankly, because it starred women and I'm a female director. And that is the confine right now in Hollywood. I wish that the movie had not been presented as just for girls because I didn't make it just for girls, Banks lamented. There was a disconnect on the marketing side of it for me. The director further alleged that she had been told by a big producer of big action movies that, it couldn't, that I couldn't direct action, that male actors were not going to follow me. He was flummoxed at the idea that a woman would be able to lead the rock on a CGI screen, I guess, Banks claimed. That was said by someone with a lot of power in our industry to my face. Banks, now this is back to the article. Banks' latest comments coming in three years after the fact immediately sounds reasonable. After all, if true, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen a studio go rogue and promote a creator's work in a completely different light than intended, like John Carter or Fight Club come to mind. But in reality, Banks has no one to blame but herself for the way the film has been received by the public. Banks made it very clear that she both intended for the film to be important to women and for its target audience to be young girls. Elizabeth Banks, it's very simple. You fucked up. Badly. You made it very clear when you went to the press, when you promoted this film, that this was not for you, old white men. This is our movie. This is for the women. And the women didn't see it! Because they're like, eh, we'll pass. You know what's crazy? I can't take my man to go see this. You know what's crazy? I was thinking about this while you were talking about the article, because the second that she said that it was a girl's movie, Snow White, you can argue, is a girl's movie. You can argue Cinderella is a girl's movie. You can argue Clueless. Pretty in pink. I've seen all those movies, and they're pretty quality movies. And they're girls' movies. But I'm not going after them for being, quote-unquote, girls' movies. They're well-written movies because they're not constantly telling men that you're, you're pigs and you're misogynist. Like, why would anybody, as the guy who wrote this article, why would somebody want to go to a movie to be told as a viewer you're a piece of shit it's sort it's in the same vein just to get you to understand how would a black man feel if he went to a movie and watched birth of a nation and have a movie tell him or her black woman too that they are pieces of shit for who they are what do you think they would feel they would feel pretty shitty and not want to see that film not want to reach into their pocket pay for a ticket to watch a movie that criticizes them for something they can't control. Why the fuck would they want to pay money to do that? It's the same thing with men, because keep in mind, this is about men. So this is, the race is completely colorblind at this point. You're involving white men, black men, Hispanic men, Asian men, Indian men, uh, Arabic, 
whatever you may be. I'm forgetting a whole shitload of ethnic groups out there, but there's plenty of men in any of those ethnic groups who probably are saying to them, so why the fuck would I want to see a movie where they're telling me I'm an, I'm an asshole? And the ones that do, I don't want to sound cliche and sound like a right winger, but that, that's a fucking cuckold right there. I wouldn't want to see that. A little more from this article. A week before her film opened to no applause, Banks attempted to shame audiences into watching Charlie's Angels by claiming that if this movie doesn't make money, it reinforces a stereotype in Hollywood that men don't go see women do action movies. Don't go and see a comic book movie with Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel because that's a male genre, she complained to the Herald Sun. So even though those are movies about women, they put them in the context of feeding the larger comic book world. So it's all about, yes, you're watching a Wonder Woman movie, but we're setting up three other characters or we're setting up Justice League. You know what this reminds me of? You're probably not aware of this. Do you remember a channel, G4 Tech? Yeah. Okay. So they revived G4 Tech about a year ago, which was quite strange because G G4 was good for the time, but it really doesn't have a place in today's society because YouTube has created so many uh, original content creators. However, we decided to revive it. They brought back Adam Sessler from X-Play, but no Morgan Webb. No Olivia Munn, who were the two women that I really liked from that channel. Uh, they didn't bring the dudes from Judgment Day. Kevin Pereira did come back, but anyways. Where I'm going with this is they, they brought back Kevin Pereira, Adam Sessler, and a couple of other people. Adam Sessler, by the way, is a fucking, he is an ignoramus. Let's put it that way, because he he literally wants all of his family relatives who are Republican to die. And all the other <laughs> Damn. But they brought in this one woman named Frosk, short for Frost Foreign, who I call Frost Foreskin. <laughs> she um She was a part of uh, a, an episode of, of X Play or whatever. And she was talking about Red Dead Redemption. She had gotten something wrong about uh, a game being exclusive to Xbox. I think it was, I can't remember what it was. And she lost her shit. Went on this rant about sexism in video games. Saying that there's gonna be a bunch of people who are going into the comments section berating on me because I'm not as bangable as Morgan Webb or Olivia Munn. Women, these two women were not put on the earth to be easy on the eyes for you. When, okay, Morgan Webb was a good-looking girl, but yes, she kind of was just a good-looking girl. Olivia Munn kind of deflates that argument because her whole shtick on Attack of the Show was sexual innuendos. There's literally an episode where she, she tries to stick as many hot dogs in her mouth as much as possible. Hot dogs. And there's literally one episode where she's like, like, trying to eat something on, on a fish hook, re referencing blowjobs. Olivia Munn's whole shtick there was sexual innuendos. The point is, is that she's completely wrong. And guess what? Guess what happened after she made that rant? It was like a three-minute rant where she talked about sex in the video games. There was more to it. Did she get fired? So, follow with me on this train ride. So, okay. after she made the rant. People started, obviously, giving them shit, because in that little rant, Adam Sessler's like clapping his hands like a fucking seal, like, uh, 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 for some reason. 
one guy's like, right after he said, right after she said, I'm not as bangable as the previous one, since he's like, go tell him, Frosk! Almost like indicating, you're right, you're not as bangable as the previous girls. You tell him. <laughs> Anyways. By the way, when I'm going, uh, 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 that's seal noises, not what you may think it is. Somebody might cook that and thinks otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Because somebody's going to think I'm making fun of mentally challenged people. No, I'm making fun of how Adam Sessler's clapping his hands like a damn seal or walrus. Anyways, so after she made that rant, if the, sh the, the channel was producing quality content and had they either suspended her or fired her or whatever, I think it would have been just, it, it, it still would have been cringeworthy, but it wouldn't have been as noteworthy as it was. Instead, G4 stuck behind her, supported her through the whole thing. Adam Sessler endlessly defended her. And guess what? Their viewership tanked. They fired 20 to 30 people just recently. And Frost, after they fired a bunch of people, not her being one, instead of her going on Twitter saying, oh, I'm, I'm glad I worked with these people, she put a meme saying, I survived. And then, like, two or three days later, she got fired. Wow. So G4 is releasing everybody. They're going on a release brigade because they're losing a lot of viewership and a lot of money. All starting from that rant. Okay, saying, so, so instead of firing the person responsible for that, they fired everyone else around her. Looking at it that way, yes, but it was more so the, the, the whole entire... The whole entire company was going downward and they needed to fire people because they were losing viewership and losing money. Okay. Yes. They fired other people before they fired the one person that perpetuated this snow this snowball rolling downhill. Yeah, because I would have thought she would have been the first to go of anything. No, because it's especially, just especially the viewership dropped. It yeah, seems like they, she only got fired because she posted a meme about it. They, they supported the message. And and who knows if the meme even played a role in things. We don't know. The point is, is that here she is going on a, a rant about sexism in games, making illegitimate claims about sexism in games, and going off about Olivia Munn and, and Morgan Webb. When she fails to realize that Olivia Munn and Morgan Webb, this is just my opinion. I, I could be 100% wrong. In my opinion, those two girls broke the 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 stereotype that games and, and technology was a nerdy thing or a guy thing. Attractive women can also be involved in this. And that's why nowadays you see more women in video games. I'm not saying Frost is butt ugly, but goddamn, her personality is. At least Morgan Webb, she was pretty, but she also was an enjoyable personality to watch on X-Play. Olivia Munn, she was very sexual in her, her uh, routine, but she was enjoyable to watch. She was fun. She didn't take herself seriously. I guess that's the way, uh, uh, what made her enjoyable. She didn't take herself too seriously. But it also hurt D4 that they didn't bring those two back because they were two uh, more iconic names, like Kevin Pereira, who did come back and then he left. Adam Sessler, as much as I don't like the guy, he was part of that full brigade. And the, the guys from Judgment Day, I, I'm feeling like an idiot not knowing their names. But there you well, go. I, I knew they weren't going to get Olivia Munn back. She's an actress now, so she's like above that. Oh, yeah. She, 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 she wouldn't have the time in her day to like do whatever G4 wants her to do unless they paid her a stupid amount of money. 
Yeah, she became really successful. Plus, she's married to a comedian. They have two kids together. So I think she's that's her past. I don't think yeah. she stopped the whole sexual innuendos. I'm not sure because I haven't followed her career recently. But I think that's more of her past. She's just willing to move forward. Okay, where's my career going to go now? There we go. Does anybody not get that if you do this dumb shit, it hurts you in the long run? It hurts, and it hurts everybody. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the brand. And here's the thing. Somebody made this comment. I can't remember who the YouTube user was. It was an unknown user, but whoever you are, yo, you need a pat on the back because it was spot on. Anita Sarkeesian about 10 years ago was doing these same exact rants. But at least in Anita Sarkeesian's case, she only brought herself down and then became irrelevant. Fucking Frost. Frost Foreskins. Brought a whole company down with her. Caused 20 to 30 people to lose their jobs. So even if, let's just say they fired Frost first, it didn't matter. They were losing so much they had to fire 20 or 30 people and have them lose their jobs because of her rant. Now, granted, I shouldn't put it all on Frost. G4 is to blame. They were the idiots that backed her up on this thing when they should have just did damage control. But fuck. Unbelievable. It's no, crazy. Nobody seems to get it. Have we not learned from the Gillette commercial? Have we not learned from the Ghostbusters remake? It's like these people still don't get it. What's what's it gonna take? Like, how many companies have to get completely tainted before we realize that the message is just toxic? Why are we listening to those the loud minority? Why? Because every here's the thing. I know I'm speaking um, anecdotally. But a lot of people that I talk to are not about that. They're just not as vocal because it's like we're we're either too old or we don't give enough of a shit to make us think about it. I'm right. Let's move on from this. Yeah. Yeah. We, let's get to our movie. God damn. <laughs> hey, we're at least we're fucking entertaining when we give our opinions. I, yeah. I would think. Yeah, we don't I don't I mean we don't put people down from what I know. We only put the people we think need to be put down. This woke nonsense. The woke nonsense needs to be put down. It needs to be put to an end. Yeah. Because yeah. no one's benefit benefiting from it at all. Nobody. No. And Not even Elizabeth I, Banks. Yeah, and I don't take great joy in seeing things get destroyed. I didn't want I don't want G4 to go down. G4 was part of my childhood. But if they're gonna be like this, fuck yeah. Go down. Yeah, this is this is how they're gonna be in the future. Well, it's nice knowing you. But yeah, onto our movie. Well, it's October, it's Halloween month, and we're going to continue with our Halloween series. Last year, we concluded, I believe, with Halloween 3? Either Halloween 3 or one of the new Halloween films. I think it was but Halloween Kills we ended it on. Halloween Kills, okay. So we still have Halloween ends to do whatever that comes out, which I believe it's next Friday. Yeah, that was... If not next Friday, the week after that. I wanted to see that movie in theaters, but I think it's coming out the day before I fly out to... Halloween Horror Nights. And it's supposed to premiere on the on the cock. On the app. Same day. Yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll probably watch it on the cock when we get to our hotel. That'll be where we watch it. Okay. Well, let's talk about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. With screenplay by Alan McElroy, directed by uh, your favorite director, Dwight Little, from the same director of Tekken. Which one? The, the one we reviewed, the one that was number one on your worst movie list. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I, I forgot, we did review the anime, but that's not a movie. That was technically a show. This film had a budget of $5 million and brought back $17.8 million at the box office. With uh, executive producer Mustafa Kad, we have Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Ten years ago, he changed the face of Halloween. Tonight, he's back. The setting's uh, taking place ten years after the events of the first film. Well, I guess before we talk about the movie itself, I guess I'll bring up the backstory. What led to this movie? Behind the scenes. Um, oh, anyway. Halloween 3 flopped. It was not really, it was not the Halloween film that the audiences wanted. It was uh, John Carpenter, as I mentioned in our last Halloween review, at least when we reviewed Halloween 3, wanted the Halloween uh, series to be an anthology film series. And, um, the first two was about a serial killer, Michael Myers. The third one was about some cult wanting to push their message to television or some shit. <laughs> however, you want to describe. <laughs> however, you want to describe season of witch features robots as well, which is weird. Yeah, robots, and, pumpkin heads, and shit. Yeah, and originally this fourth Halloween four was supposed to be a ghost story, but obviously the idea was dropped after the failure of Halloween three. Um, Mustafa Akkad wanted to go back to doing Michael Myers because that's what the audience wanted. So John Carpenter was brought back on board to help write a fourth script with someone else. He had another writer with them. But once once they finished that script, um, Mustafa Akkad didn't like the script at all. And it really turned off Carpenter to the point he says, you know what? I'll sell you my whatever ownership I have of Halloween and you can do whatever you want. And that's what they did. Uh, both Carpenter and Deborah Hill kind of sold their ownership to Mustafa Akkad. And now Akkad owns 100% over of the Halloween franchise. So now that Akkad has complete ownership of Halloween, to this day, his family, still, I believe his son now owns the name. So the Akkad family still owns the Halloween franchise. So Akkad, he um, brought in Dwight Little. He brought in another scriptwriter, Alan, to uh, write the script. And yeah, that's, and we got a uh, Halloween 4. Originally, they knew she was going to say no anyway, but they felt, ah, it wouldn't hurt to ask. They did approach Jamie Lee Curtis to maybe come back as Laurie. She said no because she actually has a movie career now, a very successful film actress. Mm. And um, yeah, and originally the character uh, Jamie Lloyd was named Brit Brittany Lloyd, but they changed the first name Jamie Lloyd because of, oh, I don't know, maybe because of Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, paying a tribute to that. Um, now, to actress. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they ever reveal? I mean, I know what the story was but did they ever reveal in this movie i could have missed it how her parents died uh that being uh laurie strode and the father jamie i was gonna ask you that I, maybe I, I was gonna say maybe i missed it but since you've seen this film a lot more than i have did they explain what happened to laurie i don't remember if it was in this film but i think the the story was was that they they died in a car wreck okay it, it, that might have been revealed in five. I'll have to watch it, but I could have swore that was revealed somewhere either here or in the next film. But I did not like that angle because it was just how, how do I put it? It would be like if all right, here, it, it, let's put it like this. Let's just say when they were doing the new Star Wars films. The ones, uh, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, whatever. Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, they couldn't convince the the people in their roles, that being uh, Harrison Ford, um, 
Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill to reprise their old roles. If they just decided their characters were killed off. I mean, that's just, that's lame. Because these were such iconic characters. At least give an explanation why they ain't there. Because say you do make another film and then they change their minds or you are able to convince them. I've never been a fan of just killing them off camera because now if this Thorn trilogy would have stuck and then Jamie Lee Curtis actually had ambitions to come back, well, you kind of fucked that because you wrote into the script that she died. But they didn't give a shit they retconned it anyway, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, this this was the first film to retcon a movie that was Halloween 3. In a way, in a way, but... I don't know if it necessarily retconned it because Halloween 3 was not going to have a sequel that was going to follow the events of Season of the Witch. It was supposed to be an anthology. So that, it, it may have retconned the idea of being an anthology, but it didn't retcon a story because Season of the Witch was going to be a standalone story. And then, like you said, the fourth Halloween would have been a different story as well. And again, I you can't blame the audience because... Halloween 1 and Halloween 2 were a continuation of the Michael Myers thing. You set a precedent that Halloween is a Michael Myers franchise. Had Halloween 1 been Michael Myers and Halloween 2 been Season of the Witch, maybe you could have gotten away with Halloween 3 being a different story, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, you already set the precedent. So, can't really blame the audience for being like, where the fuck's Michael Myers? You already had two movies with Michael Myers. You're making a third one, and now it's something completely different? Like, what the fuck? I believe originally in Halloween 4 in the opening credits when it said the return of Michael Myers, I think it even said on the side, are you happy now? Does it say that? I don't know. If, not not in, not in this movie. I don't know if it was early. I think it may be in the trailer. Mm. This movie in particular, I will say, was the second Halloween movie I ever saw. I did not see the second. Like, the second one was the one I saw the least of growing up. And I don't know why. For some reason, I didn't see Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, as much as I'd seen Halloween 1, 4, 5, 6, H2O, and Resurrection. For some reason, I was the least one. I, I just, I, whatever. But this was the second one I ever saw. And I will say that watching it now, the kills aren't anything special because I've watched so many horror films. Even now with this podcast, now it's our... It's our hobby. This is something we love to do. We love to watch movies and review them for you guys. I'm so numb to all the gore. And this movie is no exception. But at the time when I watched it as an 11-year-old or 10-year-old, however old I was, this movie fucked me the fuck up. We'll start off with the uh, the beginning of the plot, which is um, it's 1988, 10 years after the events of uh, 1978, Halloween night, where Michael came home to kill his sister Lori and killed a bunch of people. And the last we saw of Michael was in a hospital where uh, Dr. Loomis tried to blow it up. And at the time you thought Dr. Loomis sacrificed himself and killed Michael and that was the end. That's just not the case. This movie kind of explains that Michael just was in a coma for 10 years. So these two doctors- (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these two doctors are transporting him from one place to another for some odd reason. Don't know why. But yeah, they got to transport him from where he was to somewhere else. But there was um, one line in particular. It's so cheesy. 
it's so ridiculous that it made me laugh watching it now. As a child, you're just like, whatever, but listening to how it was executed. There's one part in particular where the security guard is leading these doctors to where Michael is. And one of them just matter of factly, after seeing one of the patients go crazy, goes, Jesus. And then the security guard just stops him and goes, Jesus has nothing to do with this place. <laughs> the way he said it was so fucking stupid and ridiculous, I laughed. Absolutely crazy. Anyways. He said another good line. I think he said this is where society dumps their nightmares or something. That wasn't as cheesy, but the- That's cheesy as as Jesus can't help, yeah. It was just so- Anyways. The guy had his moments. (laughs) That short screen time he had. He made it- He made it count. Yeah, he made his his role count, and I think he should have had a bigger role in the next film, but I digress. So they go down, they see Michael, his face is all bandaged up, his hands are all burnt, and that would become iconic. Matter of fact, um, who's the Ed? Didn't he try when uh, the one uh, when we went to the Halloween party that Jimmy held? Didn't he try to make his hands all red, kind of burnt like Michael Myers? I I can't remember. I couldn't tell you. I know my personal friend Adrian. He's like a huge Michael Myers fan. Anytime he dressed as Michael Myers, the one thing there was two things he always tried to do. One was make his hands look as burnt as Michael's was during the Thorn trilogy, and the other was this one. I know Ed tried to do. This, this was specific to the Thorn trilogy. Make his eyes completely black, like you couldn't see. This, these movies, the Thorn trilogy, was the only time Michael Myers's eyes were completely blank. And I thought that uh, we'll get to that. But they grab uh, Michael Myers's body and they transport it. And while on the way there, Michael Myers is waking up and commits his first kill of the m- movie, where grabs his uh, the blanket they're about to transport it, and then he just grabs one of the doctors smashes his head up against the wall several times and sticks his thumb into the dude's head yes he did that as soon as they mentioned that um michael has a niece or that laurie had a daughter and that that, that woke him up that gave him that spark yeah what so anyways, so anyways at the time this kill fucked me up a little bit not as much as the other one that i've mentioned in a previous episode but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that let's not get ahead of ourselves but looking at it now this is such a cheesy ass kill but it's great it's the old michael myers flavor that i like so we cut from that to our new main character jamie lloyd played by daniel harris now i will get ahead of myself and say this if there's any great positive is that daniel harris as a child one of the most fantastic actresses i've ever seen she her screams her look of fear is actually convincing to me like i actually believe this girl's in trouble when she's screaming when she's in in terror she's a very convincing actress and danielle harris needs to give herself a round of applause she's one of the more iconic horror figures and definitely deserves the credit but anyways She's looking outside during the rain. She's obviously disturbed by something. And then we're introduced to her older sister, Rachel. That's not biological foster sister. And Rachel's trying to calm her down because Jamie's obviously depressed that her parents are gone and she's being raised by this foster family. And Rachel's just basically saying to her, dude, I'm not your legitimate sister, but 
I still love you as one. So she tries to calm it down, brings her to bed. Jamie tries to say a prayer and her closet door just keeps opening. And every time she's closing it, it just opens again. And then that's when Michael grabs her from underneath the bed. She does her scream. This is what I'm talking about. She actually looks like she's screaming. And this is the first time we see Michael without his eye. And in my opinion, and this is the first time we see the mask and it looks like shit. Yeah, I was going to say, even though the mask looks terrible, I do like the fact that they blanked out his eyes. It makes Michael look scarier. I think, I, I think they did that because of Jason. I think they were inspired by Jason because Jason has the same thing. You don't see his eyes. At least not. <laughs> at least once you kind of get to Jason X and you see his eyes, which I which always bothered me. But I always liked that, that you don't see their eyes. It's just black. It's scarier. Yeah, it's, it's more effective. Yeah. So, and I think this was this film was the only time you really didn't see his face all that well, which made him scarier. But moving on. So he's trying to grab her. She he runs to the door. The door is locked. He does the sit up. Matter of fact, it was Jim Cornette who said that he took a lot of inspiration from this movie to create. Because Kane was supposed to be like Michael Myers. Because Undertaker is more inspired from Frankenstein, but I digress. So she finally opens the door. Michael's behind the door. So you come to realize she's dreaming this whole thing. But as this is going on, her foster parents are running and they find her in the closet. She was crying over a photo. I, I did gloss over the fact that she was looking at a photo of her mother, who happened to be Jean or Lori Strode. So you kind of know she's dead, but they don't explain what happened. So, at least not in this movie. Maybe the other, maybe the next one, we'll find out. But at least not here. We'll find out. It's been a while since I've seen five, but I've seen it plenty of times. So a lot of things are going to be familiar. So, yeah, you're kind of confused, but you kind of get the idea that she's gone. When I, as a kid, I just thought she ran away or had a new identity. I don't know because I'm a child. I don't know any of these things. So they comfort her. She's trying to. She does, and here's another thing. So, well, no, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. So, uh, it's the next day, next morning, and Rachel is uh, only going to have a bagel for breakfast, and her parents ostracize her by saying, "That's not the only thing you're gonna eat." Like, what? You're gonna force your daughter to to eat more than what her stomach can handle, but whatever. So the babysitter cancels on them. So now Rachel has to take care of Jamie, even though she had a date with Brady. We'll get to him in a second. And I will say this, the girl played Rachel played an over, did the over dramatic stuff. She just basically said, oh, you just ruined me. So now my, my, my marriage, my, are your, my children, your grandchildren have now com been completely erased from existence because I got a babysit tonight. Playing that over dramatic that she didn't get her way. Mm -hmm. Jamie hears this. She's she thinks it's her fault. Rachel consoles her and says, "Dude, it's not your fault. I'm just pissed at the situation." Wants to take Jamie trick or treating. Jamie's like, "I don't want to" because she's kind of still traumatized over everything. But Rachel said, how, how about I get you some ice cream? Okay, cool. Then we get to see Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis 
is wondering why the fuck did they transport this Michael Myers? What I'm what I'm really wondering is what the hell is that on his face? It looks like someone baked cooked an egg on the side of his cheek. So I guess this is supposed to represent the bar marks he received after blowing up that hospital, as well as yeah. his hand. The only problem with that is the makeup on his face is inconsistent throughout the whole film because it keeps changing. Well, that and he sounds different. It could have been just because this is 10 years later and he's older. And he's moving more like he's limping. I think it's just to sell the idea that he's really tired and really hurt from all this. No, yeah, yeah. He's scarred physically and mentally from the night he came home. The night he came home. And so... The guy at the counter is like, dude, you're just overreacting. But then he gets a call that the hospital, the ambulance tipped over. So they go and visit the, the destroyed ambulance. And he already knows that Michael's escaped. He's alive. But everybody else is calling him crazy. Like, dude, even if he is alive, he's probably banged up. He's useless. And Dr. Loomis says... You're talking about him like as if he's human. So he decides he's going to go to Haddonfield, which is a four-hour drive. And while he's on his way to a station, we get a glimpse of a mechanic trying to fix a car. And Michael, bandaged up, stabs him in the stomach. So Loomis appears at that gas station, finds the dead body, and then sees Michael. And says, listen, you want to kill me, kill me, but leave that little girl alone. What about the little girl? How did he know about Jamie? They never explained how he knew about her. Well, I, I mentioned the ambulance. I think when they were taking him away or transporting him, they mentioned that uh, Jamie had a, Jamie, uh, Laurie Strode had a child, Jamie. Right. They, but uh, they never elaborated where Jamie was. She could be in New York. But not just that, but they knew. How did Dr. Loomis know? I guess he always kept, I don't know. I guess he always kept tabs. They don't explain that here. They just they like, never did that. And they never, as I mentioned, they never elaborated where um, Jamie is. You just, I mean, yeah, it's in Hattonfield, but how did Michael know she was in Hattonfield? What if she wasn't? Who the fuck knows? Anyways. So, Michael escapes. He nearly kills Loomis, but uh, destroys the gas station. Destroys phone lines and destroys his car, which means now he's got to travel on foot. Now, this next scene I'm about to say is very fucking ridiculous. Because, let me... I wasn't alive in 1988. So, to be fair, this may have been of the time. But, not to get too delved into my personal life. I was extremely bullied. And, yeah, there was some real bad shit said to me. But, the bad shit that was said to Jamie was really fucking ridiculous so there's these three kids that are bullying jamie like her uncle's the boogeyman making fun of her not wearing a costume saying her uncle's the boogeyman and then one of them says something along the lines of how come mommy doesn't protect you or something and then the other said how could she her mommy's dead <laughs> i'm sitting here like wow these kids must have had a police report on her they knew everything. <laughs> My reaction after seeing this after a long time, the line from Coming to America from Samuel Jackson, who the fuck is this asshole? That's, 
That was me. Like, what the fuck? Anyways, Jamie's running out, crying, obviously, because these three kids are fucking harassing her. And I felt bad for her. Again, giving the praise to Daniel Harris. She looked like she was really upset. This uh, Daniel Harris is a great actress. I don't give a shit what anybody says. So, her sister picks her up. There's a girl named Lindsay that tries. I wondered if this was the same Lindsay from Halloween 1. I don't think so, but... Anyway, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess it was just... Could be a coincidence. Coincidence, yeah. So, as we go on, they, uh... She now wants to go trick-or-treating. She wants to get a costume. So they go to a place called Vincent Drug. This place always rung familiar to me. Like, I know I've seen this place before. This place was in the Sandlot. Oh! Drug. They filmed this in Sandlot. Because I, I saw Sandlot, obviously, before I saw this film. But every time I saw this, I was like, there's something remarkably familiar. And when I went back to see Sandlot, I'm like, that's the same fucking place. Uh, oh no, because I know I know they didn't film in the same spots as the first film. I believe this was filmed in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, was the Sandlot also filmed there? Maybe. I think so. It was mostly because it was supposed to be based in California. Yeah, but I know I'm they didn't shoot in California because of tax reasons. Or it was yeah. getting more expensive to shoot there. So, we get a scene in Vincent Drug with um, Kelly Meeker putting some stuff away, played by Kathleen Kinmont. And then we see this blonde surfer dude who's about to hit on her or ask her out. And they were betting, her ten, betting him 10 bucks that he wasn't gonna do it, he didn't gonna have the balls because she's the daughter of the sheriff, uh, Ben Meeker, who we'll see later. And then that's when we get Brady, played by Sasha Jensen, who you may know, um, I forget the character name, he was in uh, Dazed and Confused. Blonde dude basically says, I'm gonna hit on her. Fuck, uh, that don't scare me. He uh, goes, <clears throat> gets her attention. She just goes, fuck off, weed. I think that's his name, weed, or whatever the fuck his name was. They laughed. The girls arrive at the store. Uh, Rachel wants to talk to Brady. Meanwhile, Lori's looking for a costume, finds a clown costume, ironically. And that's when she's like, hey, look, I got a take a look at this, I found a costume. And then Brady's uh, making out with Rachel. Rachel lets him know that, hey, date's canceled. But meanwhile, while they're having this conversation, Kelly's in like in the distance, like looking on, like, hmm. So that plays a role later. Yeah, that's the love triangle. Uh, just a yeah. little subplot. Yeah, it wasn't, so it wasn't in the original draft, but when they did a second draft, they needed more drama. Yeah, and Kelly Meeker's supposed to be like the the girl that uses her sexuality to get what she wants, whereas Rachel's supposed to be more of the uh, the girl next door, I guess you can call it. But yeah, Brady's obviously upset that it was canceled the last minute. Their date, I get his frustration, but it, it was a little over dramatic. I mean, he's supposed to be a, a teenager or a young, not maybe just getting out of high school type of deal. Anyway, so. Uh, what's her face? Uh, Lord, no, Jamie's looking at the costume in a mirror, and then all of a sudden she sees an image of a boy in that same costume. I guess it's supposed to be Michael as a kid. But while this is all happening, you see Michael's hand grab a mask 
which is the mask he would wear for the rest of the film, which is supposed to be the iconic William Shatner mask. He's putting it on. She screams. Where, where did he get it from? What? The mask. So there's a scene while she's walking. There's a mask hanging on the wall because that store that they have sells uh, sells costumes. Yeah, but that was after Loomis found him. And when Loomis found him at the gas station, he already had the mask. No, he didn't. He had his tape faced up. His tape was faced up. All that was before the store scene. The Fuck, gas- I got you again. I thought he already yeah. had the mask by that point. No, his tape, his face was taped up. He may have had the ma- uh, It may have looked like he had the mask because they tried to keep a distance from the camera so you didn't see his face or whatever. But this and, was after all that. And, and to confirm, you're right. So, um, Sandlot, location, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. So he grabs a mask, puts it on, and then she freaks out. Everybody's like coming to her aid. It's like, are you all right? You're going to be all right. Everything's fine, whatever. Then we see Dr. Loomis on the highway trying to get to Haddonfield. There's a jerk uh, cheerleader football team driving, and they, they, they're like, come on, Grandpa, get up. And then as soon as he gets up, they rev the engine. Dirt flies in his face. And then that's when we get a reverend driving in an old car. This guy was a character because he's talking about Judgment Day and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, he offers him a ride to Haddonfield. And then that's when it's nighttime. That's where uh, Lori's, or no, St. Lori, Jamie's parents are going out for their big thing. And uh, Rachel has to watch Jamie, but they're going to go trick-or-treating because that's what Jamie wants. She's in her clown costume, ready to go. Meanwhile, um, Dr. Loomis shows up at the police station and wants Sheriff Brackett. If you remember who Sheriff Brackett was, he was in the first film. He was Annie's uh, father. Yep, he was in the first two films, yeah. He was in the first two films, and he retired back in 81, so he couldn't get it. That's where we're introduced to Ben Meeker, who's the father of Kelly Meeker. You saw the, the girl's sexuality. So he's basically telling them, dude, you got to call a curfew. Get everybody home because Michael's on the loose. And Ben Meeker at first is just like, I don't know about this. But then when they tried to call the somebody, they didn't answer because the phone lines were down. That's where they basically go off. I knew the sheriff, the actor that plays the sheriff, looked so familiar. I'm like, where do I know him from? And then it hit me. He was in Goodfellas. He was Henry's father. Remember his father slapped him around. We found out he wasn't. He was skipping school. Yeah, you start. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting that he played that role. But anyways, then we see these uh, these rednecks that run a bar, and they're like, man, because the, the 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 curfew comes onto the to the TV, and they're like, I'm not gonna close my shop. I'm gonna call the police. I'm gonna find out what the fuck's going on. The phone just rings. It's like, what the fuck? That's when he takes a swig of beer and he grabs a shotgun. They're ready to go. So yeah, yeah you got your little Simpsons angry mob. <laughs> yep, exactly. So Rachel and uh, Lori are going out trick or treating. Lori seems to be, ha- or I keep saying Lori, Jamie, Jamie. All right, come on, boom, boom, come on, you stupid Polish kid. Jamie is going out trick or treating. She seems to be having a good time. 
And uh, that's when they meet up with a bunch of kids and they're like, oh, let's go to this next house, right? So they go to the next house and conveniently enough, it's the house of Kelly Meeker. And you could already tell there's some tension between Rachel and Kelly. They're not cursing each other, but you could tell there's something there. Yeah. While, while Kelly's handing out the candy to the kids, who's in the background? Brady. Her, her man. Her man. Oh, man. The heartbreak kid just broke another heart. Oh, man. The boy toy decides to try and uh, fix this thing, but Rachel is just completely devastated because it's like, dude, okay, I broke off her date, yes, but that doesn't mean you just hop on and, and, and bust a nut into somebody else. She's pissed. She walks away. And, uh, yeah, Brady's Brady's just like, what the fuck? Goes back into the house, realizing that he fucked up. And Rachel and Jamie are separated, and that's where that scene happens. There's another scene in particular where Bucky, a man named Bucky, is working at an electrical place, I guess that's PSCNG or whatever that keeps the electricity running. And then that's when, um, uh, what's his face? Michael Myers shows up and he's like, yo, you're not allowed to be here. What are you, fucking deaf? Oh, uh, I'm gonna call the police. Don't you think about leaving? And then that's when Michael like walks up from behind him and throws him. Like, I, I don't know how he did it, but he just took his two hands and flung him. He went flying. He has superhuman strength now. Yeah, he hit the box and he started electrocuting himself. He exploded, everybody's lights went out, and that was it. It felt like a very Jason-esque kill. Yeah. I forgot what happened with Loomis and um, Sheriff Meeker, but they, they went somewhere and then they came back to the police station and their whole police station was completely bombarded. Oh, that's what it was. They went to the house of where Jamie is and found the dog dead because Michael had been there looking for photos of his niece and found it. And then that's when he went off and tried to chase Jamie. How but did then, Michael know they lived there? Well, I don't know. I'm wondering if that's the old house that was supposed to be the old Michael Myers house. I don't know. What a coincidence. Yeah. Watch a twist. So they came back to the police station. The whole police station was destroyed. And as soon as they come out of the police station, the rednecks show up. That's when uh, the police or Meeker's like, go back to your houses, blah, blah, blah. But then Loomis opens up the can of words and says, Michael's come back. Apparently the main redneck, his son got killed by Michael 10 years prior. And he's like, nah, I'm gonna fry that motherfucker. Meeker's pissed at Loomis, and Loomis is like, dude, you don't even have a police force anymore. These may be the only men that can save your ass. So Rachel's getting all uh, rambunctious because she can't find her foster sister. Jamie's lost, they finally find each other, and then somehow, some way, Loomis and Meeker find them. Put him in the police car and says, yo, you need to come to safety, like, right now. Um, keep this in mind, too. Michael is like a fucking magician. He just happens to show up in places randomly. There was another cop in particular that was alive, Deputy Logan. This dude happened to be around Deputy Logan's car when uh, they were radioing uh, him and Meeker together so that he could follow them. It's just ridiculous, but... Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the backseat of his car. Like, how did he get in there? And, and, yeah, he's like a magician. So, anyways, as they're put loading up Lori... Or, uh, fuck, 
Jamie and Rachel. <laughs> I think I did this the last time too. Um, Jamie is in the car with Rachel. There's like three Michael Myers that appear. Come to find out, it's just a prank, just fucking with them. Now, I think the scene was meant to be this way, but it was so funny. So you see the rednecks. They're driving down. They're like, "There's Michael right there." So they stop the car. They see this big patio or whatever. And they are shooting at it. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they're done shooting, they go up to it, they see a body, and it's like, oh, it's our friend Ted or whoever it was. Whoops, whoopsies. Pussy. So you look at him and he's like, you dumb son of a bitch. You said you saw Myers. Now another... I guess it was meant to be funny scene. This is the sex scene of the movie. Kelly and Brady are about to get bound to bow on with each other. It's getting sensual right by the fireplace. But then all of a sudden the lights go on and she's like, oh God, it's my dick. They start freaking out. They're putting their clothes back on. And as soon as they get into the, the house, you can see the look on Rachel's face when she walks in. She's like, she knows what happened. They banged, even though they didn't. You would think she bangs, she bangs. Oh, baby, oh, she moves, she moves. She's so crazy. But no, that's not what happened. They were about to, but your father had to cock block the whole shit. But anyways. So Brady's like confused what the hell is going on. They're, they're giving everybody shotguns and nails and hammers to lock up the whole place. And he makes the line, oh, and one thing. If I catch you groping my daughter, I'm going to use that shotgun on you. Now, I understand he's a cop, so he is carte blanche to say the stupid shit, but if this dude wanted to press charges against the police station, even though the police station is two members now, because the whole one is dead, we can police two for, for a threat from a police yeah. officer. <laughs> like, what the hell? Anyways, so he, he cooperates. There's a point where Brady goes up, he's hearing noises, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, no, before that, he asks Rachel and... and uh, Jamie, what the hell's going on? And they're talking about Michael is back. Now, for the longest time, I could not make out what Jamie said here. She's like whimpering and she's saying it in a crying motion. After today, I figured out what she said. And it actually sounds depressing. So she says the kids at school were right. And that just sounds even more upsetting to hear. So, anyways, he goes up to the attic, locks everything up. Uh, ben Meeker asks his daughter, Kelly, to make some coffee. Uh, Deputy Logan's on uh, watch with a shotgun or whatever. Loomis, where was he? I think he left. He went to go search for Michael or whatever. And I think Ben Meeker went with him. So I don't think he was in the house at that point. So it was just Logan being the, the, the security. So there's a scene in the kitchen where she's making, Kelly's making the coffee. And then um, that's when Rachel and her have the confrontation. Kelly's like, I didn't know that you and Brady were a thing. You knew, you just didn't care. She goes, he's not married. Plus I gotta do what's best for me. And Rachel responds like, don't you mean you know uh, what you do best? This is when she responded with, wise up to what men want, Rachel. Or Brady won't be the last man you'll ever lose to another woman. I was like, ooh. That's ooh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when Rachel grabbed the cup and it's like, have some coffee. Just threw it right on her. 
was great. I want to sidetrack something real quick before we continue. Because the, the actress who played her, Kathleen Kinmont, she has a great sense of humor because there was one point, uh, I think it was the 15-year anniversary of this movie. She was doing a panel. Her, Sasha Jensen, Danielle Harris, and I think there was one other person. Or may have just been those three. So somebody asked a question. Oh, uh, you and uh, the, the girl played Rachel, who was Ellie Cornell. She's like, you played on-screen rivals. Did that travel off-screen as well? And Kathleen Kenmont jokingly said, well, you don't see that bitch here today, do you? I thought that was, a really <laughs> that was really clever. But then she followed up with, no, she's a sweetheart. We loved each other, blah, blah, blah. I thought that was quite funny. She has a, I'm, I'm upset she didn't get more roles. That, that she did have a sense of humor. So anyways, the movie goes on. Um, there's one part. Oh, okay. So this is why Ben Meeker's not there. So he's on radio and he gives Rachel the radio to, to uh, let her know, hey, let as soon as uh, somebody radios in, tell Deputy Logan. Now, afterwards, we see Kelly with the, the coffee. She's telling W. Logan, yeah, I got you some coffee. Huh, man, I'm fucking bored. If only we had some MTV. I'm like, God damn, MTV. This is 1988. Oh, yeah, MTV actually showed music videos. I want my MTV. <laughs> see, me, I'd be like, I want my Nintendo Switch, but eh, this is 88, so I forgive it. As soon as she lights the candles, that's when she sees Deputy Logan with, like, his arms and in different places and blood coming out of his mouth. She freaks, but she doesn't scream. She just, like, squeals. Because the person in the chair was not Debbie Logan. It was Michael. And probably one of the other cheesy kills in the film. He fucking grabs his shotgun and fucking, instead of shooting her, pales it through her stomach into the wall. Hey, slashers don't shoot guns. That's a rule. It was ridiculous. And, the, <laughs> and what made this scene great was after he did it, he did it. Before he walked away, he stood there and watched as he admired his work. That was great. He sat there and admired it for a second. It wasn't as, as funny as when he looked at when he stabbed Bob in Halloween one because he's like tilting his head a couple times, trying to observe it. Like, hmm, I, I poked him here. Maybe I could have done it here and it, it would have done better. Hmm, the trajectory of this knife, kind of like the shotgun. He's like the projection of this, but he walks away. So, anyways, Rachel gets the radio broadcast saying oh we got people coming from out of state and she's looking for deputy logan she sees logan she sees kelly she's freaking out no jamie she's running around and then she bumps into brady brady's like what's going on i explained this in my top 10 kills this is one of my favorite kills but i'll, I'll try and brief it again brady's freaking out trying to be the hero trying to shoot the door down because the door's locked it isn't. They walk up the, the stairs. They find Jamie. She's okay. Michael does his slow walk while Brady fumbles with the fucking gun. He's loaded. <laughs> Once he finally gets it loaded, conveniently enough, it's right when Michael's right there. Michael hits. Michael pushes him and he hurts his arm. So then Brady uses the gun as a weapon not to shoot but to smash somebody in the head with. He does it once, and Michael no-sells it, and then the second time, Michael blocks it and shoves it into his face, busts his nose open, and Brady, for some odd reason, was like, well, the gun didn't work. Maybe my fist will. So he punches him, tries to go for another one. Michael blocks it and then grabs him up, and you know the rest. I already explained this, and I said, I think this kill was well done because, A, I don't think he cared to kill Brady. 
he didn't want to he didn't really have any ambitions to kill him he was just focused because he saw the target it was yeah. like brady is just he's just a nuisance he's just in the way now and he basically emasculated brady in this whole scene which made it that much more fucked up because he just completely made him feel like a complete tool and again i think the the less of the effects that they used really made this effective because sasha jensen even brought up the way they made him raise up was they used some sort of like seesaw horse to make it feel like that michael's raising him up and there were no effects it was just his thumb going into his cheek blah 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 and then they just added in the sound effects for the crushing so now it's the big chase scene jamie and, and rachel running up the stairs they throw a bunch of objects to prevent michael from getting up get into the attic break the window they're on the roof now and now michael's there and the big chase scene happens they both fall off the roof rachel falls off it looks like rachel's dead but she's really unconscious jamie's running and somehow bumps into dr loomis dr loomis says where's the school for some reason like the school's gonna keep them safe but yeah they run into the school and they're trying to find a door for some reason i don't even know why they went into the school for some reason and then as soon as dr loomis backs up michael shows up now you'll notice that michael's mask is fucking pink <laughs> yeah pink with blonde hair so there's actually an explanation to this the story told is that when they first got their masks they had they came pink with blonde hair and then they had to paint them all white when shooting the scene it was like five o'clock in the morning and the sun was about to come up and they couldn't the guy who went to get the mask couldn't find the mask so he ended up grabbing the pink one instead and just filmed this like as if nobody was going to notice well i don't understand is why didn't they get tommy lee wallace to do the michael mask again <sighs> he could have made like i don't know hey hey tommy can you make like three of them for us this is yeah. the okay. This is the same movie that thought it was logical for Michael to impale a gun into a woman's stomach. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so he throws Dr. Loomis out the window. Now there's a small chase scene with him and Jamie. Jamie falls down the stairs and it looks like Michael's going to get her. But somehow Rachel knew that they were in the school. So she has a fire extinguisher, blows Michael away. So now they run outside. There's the rednecks. The rednecks we're like gung-ho on shooting this motherfucker but now they're just like yeah let's just get out of town <laughs> yeah this is too much like yeah <laughs> they hop into the truck the main guy's in the truck driving the other three are on the truck the, the the compartment of the, the bed and they see the police they're going the opposite way and then michael just conveniently was underneath the truck the how he was under how the It's Houdini. He's David Blaine. What do you want? So, climbs into the bag. He's, he's, <laughs> the guy's the truck. <laughs> the guy who's driving, he's just like, oh, what's going on here? And that's when Michael grabs him by the neck and, like, rips him. It's like, holy shit. So, obviously, uh, Rachel's got to get a hold of the wheel. She gets a hold of the wheel, pushes the guy out of the truck. Now she's like trying to swerve it around so that Michael can't grab her. And then Michael just takes his face and smashes it into the window looking goofy as hell. And she screams. He falls up the truck. And then she hits the line. Die you son of a bitch. Fucking drives, smashes him. He falls to the ground. 
But then, for some reason, this man that was chasing her, she decides to go up close to him and hold his hand. And then that's when Ben Meeker and Rachel like told him, no, get away, get away from him, because they've seen the carnage that this guy has laid out. So she turns around, Michael gets up, and then she runs, and then that's when they start shooting him, shooting him, shooting him. He's taking the bullets, and then he just falls into a hole, goes right through, kind of reminiscent of when Carrie and the house kind of just impaled into the hole. So, uh, yeah. Yes, that's the end for Michael. But we're not done yet. So they killed, I put that in quotes, Michael. The last scene of the movie is them back in their house. The parents are relieved that Rachel and Jamie are okay. Loomis says the line, he's back in hell where he belongs. Blah, 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 blah. Mother decides, okay, let me fix Jamie a bath because she's so dirty. But then we see a POV version of something similar from the first movie all of a sudden it's jamie from her perspective she puts the mask on walks into the bathroom and all of a sudden you hear a big scream and you see dr loomis and then dr loomis hits the famous realizing that jamie just stabbed her mother her foster mother and just as she's about to shoot ben meeker like smashes him away grabs the gun and then he just looks in in terror Everybody stares, and Jamie's just standing there with the, the pair of scissors that she grabbed, raising them with the intimidating look. Cut the credits. That being said, even though we've made fun of this film, and there's so many different things about it that don't make any fucking sense, I enjoy this film. Um, for me, this is definitely the best of the Thorn trilogy. 100%. This film well, Because I know um, uh, Anthony Gangon uh, doesn't like this movie. That's Anthony Get Going. That's what he needs to do. Get- <laughs> he likes Halloween 3, okay? <laughs> no, he likes Holly Three. Hold on, he's not cool with Michael Myers being Houdini, but he's cool with fucking masks that represent a pumpkin, a witch, and a skeleton with bugs coming out and robots. He's cool with that. Anyways, no, but yes, this film is definitely the best of the Thorn trilogy by far. Um, but there, there are things that don't make sense because it's the 80s and a lot of the horror films in the 80s didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, they made a lot of changes to Michael. Most importantly, they gave him more superhuman strength. That's probably because of Jason. That they wanted to Jason Michael up a little bit without going too far. We mentioned that Dark and Dies. Right. Well, well then Dark and Dies was always there, I guess. Now, keep this in mind. The thorn, the, the logo, the thorn that he has doesn't show up until the next film. It doesn't show up here. So it's, it's the Thorn trilogy, but they didn't know it was going to be the Thorn trilogy until the next movie. Which I believe came out a year later. Yeah, it came out very shortly after because this film was a, a success, box office-wise. Yeah, it. this was a success, and it probably wanted to rush out of sequel as fast as it could. Which I think was a mistake, but we'll get into that when we review Halloween 5, but... Oh, I enjoy this film despite us making fun of it, but it, I like it because it fucked me up. I am fucked up because of this film. <laughs> and uh, yeah, at the time, it really messed me up in the head. And I mean, I could watch it now without feeling messed up, but yeah, that's just from years and years and years of watching horror films and being numb to it and being in my 30s. So yeah. 
Yeah, I think the film's fine. Honestly, I think Halloween 4 is a lot better than the majority of the Friday the 13th sequels. Which, uh, hold on, which Friday the 13th movie was good? Other than Jason X, I mean, that movie was immaculate. I, I, honestly, I didn't really like any of them, most, for the most part. Maybe part six, maybe. I, I'd have to watch it again. That's the one where Tommy Jarvis, um... Uh, brings him back from the dead. Yeah, yeah, brings him back from the dead. And, and, and again, in the same vein as Jason X... The guilty pleasure. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan is a guilty pleasure of mine as well, but the other ones are just whatever. Yeah, so I said for the most, it's better than most of the Jason sequels. Yeah, it was, this was a fine film. There's gonna be plot holes. There's gonna be Houdini moments, but other than that, it was a fine film. And like I said, a movie that had a kill that fucked me up for years definitely deserves its recognition. I think this is it for me at least. And this film did pretty well since this was in '88. This was kind of we're, we're kind of getting to the tail end of the slasher uh, phase. Yeah. So I I think it was either '88 or '89 that Manhattan came out, and then that Jason film flopped. Uh, I think it was because the last slasher film I think that was released in the '80s was Nightmare Part Five. I think that's considered the last one because that came out in August of '89. Mm-hmm. And Manhattan was the last Jason slasher film of the 80s. And I that think, have, I want to say 89 that came out. It was 89, but that came out in July. So it came out a month before Nightmare Part 5. Yeah, because Halloween, the franchise itself, never really was part of the the crazy slasher phase. Because you had Part 3 that was, I believe, came out in 83. And then they took a five-year break from the Halloween movies. And during that break, that's when Jason and Freddy really was really popular. They were at their peak. Yeah. That's when a lot of other films had their own slasher movies as well. I mean, Maniac came out in 1980. So they yeah. that was beginning too. And yeah, between those, that era, you had a lot of different crazy slasher films. So yeah. for 88, this did pretty damn good. People wanted Michael and they got him. And well, the numbers prove that people still wanted Michael. Michael Myers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he had a couple good kills here. Some of them are cheesy, but they're cheesy in a fun way. <clears throat> the story is pretty basic, but it's it's fine. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good it's, it's a great I shouldn't say great. It's a good horror film. It's fun. It's a crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah, we'll put it like that. And I believe that's going to do it for this review for Halloween Four. Well, there's there's one other tidbit. One other tip that I should mention. I think this is the only Halloween film where the opening credits and the closing credits do not play the Halloween theme. Ah. Speaking of Halloween theme, I know Alan, um, his name is at least Hogworth, Hollowworth. He did the score for this film. He's a frequent collaborator for John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, I think he co-did the first one as well. So, But no Carpenter here. Obviously, he was out of the franchise by this point. And did come back until uh, the Blumhouse got involved with their 2018 movie. Overall, good film. I give yeah. it. A, I give it a thumb up. Yeah, I am um, for Halloween fans. It has definitely uh, developed a big cult following over the years. I mean, as all as seems like all Halloween sequels do. But yeah, I was surprised uh, that I enjoyed this. And you know, watching it again, I still enjoyed it. Again, you know, I was at a point I was able to see more flaws with it, but you know, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the film. It's a film. It's a it's a film that's got its flaws, but again, a horror film in the '80s, you expect that. Yeah. 
And I think that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. We had a lot to talk about for this review. And, you know, mm. also the topics prior. Yes. So that's going to do it from us here. We, you know, it's October. We saw plenty more Halloween films to review. And for the Thorn Trilogy, unfortunately, it only gets worse from here on out. <laughs> so, from Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. No! 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 Oh, Jesus has nothing to do with this movie.